Welcome to the Amazing Apps Show for Microsoft business applications creators who want to build amazing applications that everyone will love. Hi, I'm your host, Neil Benson. My goal on this show is to help you slash your project budgets, reduce your delivery timelines, mitigate technical risks, and create amazing agile Microsoft Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. I took a break last week to go camping with my family during the Easter school holidays, so sorry I didn't have an episode scheduled in advance. I've been pretty busy recording presentations for Scottish Summit, DynamicsCon, Worldwide Microsoft Technology User Group conferences recently, but we're back this week with a great interview and a special bonus episode. I'm joined in this show by Mark Schweigert. He's a Principal Program Manager Lead in the Customer Advisory Team. I nearly said the Customary Advisory Team for Power Platform at Microsoft, also known as PowerCat. PowerCat builds the Center of Excellence Starter Kit to help Power Platform customers, especially administrators and builders, manage their Power Platform environments and applications with patterns, practices, and tools from the PowerCat team. And new from PowerCat is the ALM toolkit for makers that enables no-code, low-code citizen developers who are new to application lifecycle management to follow a set of proven practices to deploy their Power Apps from dev into production. There's also a new LM toolkit for advanced makers that offers professional developers with more control over the same patterns, practices, and tools offered in the LM toolkit for beginners. It's available in GitHub under an open source licensing model so that we, the Power Platform community, can suggest enhancements and even make enhancements to the toolkit. There are links to Mark's LinkedIn profile, his Twitter handle, the PowerCat Live playlist on YouTube, which I highly recommend, the ALM Patterns and Practices page on the Microsoft Docs site. There's the ALM Toolkit for Makers and the ALM Toolkit for Advanced Makers, all in the show notes for this episode, as well as a transcript of my interview with Mark. You'll find that at customary.com slash 030. That's the word customer with a Y on the end, dot com slash zero three zero. Remember to subscribe to the Amazing Applications podcast on your favorite podcast player, and you'll automatically receive special bonus episodes when they're available for episodes like this one. I put Mark through a rapid fire round at the end of our chat to find out whether he prefers Scrum or SureStep, whether he calls it a table or an entity, whether he recommends one environment per developer or a shared development environment, and whether he'd rather use Azure DevOps or GitHub, and there's a few more besides. He's got some surprising answers, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss it. Here's my interview with Mark Schweigert from Microsoft. Mark, welcome to the Amazing Applications podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, do you want to just give yourself a quick introduction for the benefit of our listeners, and then I'll get into some introductory questions and kick off the show from there. Sure. Uh, I'm Mark Schweigert. I'm a, a program manager on the Power Customer Advisory Team at, at Microsoft. Um, we're a team that's part of the product group that works with some of Microsoft's 
uh, largest, most complex, most demanding uh, enterprise customers these days, typically, who are pushing the envelope of broad, low-code adoption uh, using Power Platform in, in enterprises. A couple of questions I like to ask all my guests, just to get to know them a little bit better. Starting with, what did you have for breakfast this morning? So for breakfast, I uh, actually haven't had breakfast. Uh, I'm not doing breakfast right now. I just had a, a black coffee. Oh, you're one of those intermittent fasting folks? Or? Actually, I am, actually. we, uh, My wife and I just uh, started looking at it, and I was looking at the, the health benefits of it and you know, you know, lower my blood pressure and some other things, and so giving it a shot. Yeah, I listened to some of Tim Ferriss's. I'm actually reading, listening to the audiobook version of Tools of Titans, where one of the, the proponents there is talking about the benefits of intermittent fasting. But I haven't got the uh, I haven't got the appetite for it. <laughs> nah, no, I hear <laughs> I, so far it's, it's been actually really relatively tolerable. Um, I generally do eat breakfast. I like to you know, you know, at least in theory, get my metabolism going in the morning. So you know, based on, on some of this, the ideas behind this, that's not as uh, necessary apparently. But we'll find out. Yeah, good for you. Let me know how that goes. Yeah. Um, tell us, um, how did you get your first job? First job? So I think my first, very first job was uh, telemarketing. It was in high school, and I honestly don't remember. I think it was through a friend. And that's probably the less interesting one because I, I ran kicking and screaming very quickly because I didn't like people hanging up on me and I didn't like being rude to people. <laughs> I would say my second job is probably the more interesting one. I was a big tennis player in high school. And so uh, I worked at our local community center, both working at the, the snack hut, but also uh, helping teach tennis. Oh, great stuff. And how did you land your current role at Microsoft? Ooh, my current role at Microsoft. Uh, so I've been on the Power Customer Advisory team a little over a year. I've done a, a number of things at Microsoft, both um, in the product group as well as in the field. And so it's kind of a long, circuitous path that I, I got to this role. I, you know, my background is is app dev. You know, not not low code. You know, I started off at Microsoft as a SQL biz talk and and .NET pre sales engineer, what what folks call a technology specialist today. And I, I quickly learned about this group called uh, Developer and Platform Evangelism that no longer exists. And I said, that's what I want to do. I can get paid to go just talk to people about .NET. Like, I'm in. And uh, <laughs> first half of my career at Microsoft, that's, that's what I did. And I loved it. I was both a, a developer evangelist and what we called an architect evangelist back then. And I basically grew up with every version of the .NET framework. I was an Azure evangelist before anybody knew what Azure was. You know, we were just web roles, worker roles, and this thing called Azure you know, storage and then uh, Azure SQL, which interestingly enough, looks like Dataverse. Uh, what Azure SQL was back then, it looks like what Dataverse is now in terms of basically a REST API for relational data. And long story short, I learned about this thing called XRM back in around uh, Dynamics 2011 days uh, or CRM 2011 days. Um, yeah. Ultimately ended up becoming effectively a early low-code advocate at Microsoft and uh, did a number of things along the way, but ended up actually being responsible for sales strategy for Power Apps uh, in Corp at Microsoft for almost a uh, almost two years uh, and met all the folks on the PowerCat team and really wanted to get back to my technical roots. And so uh, long story short, I ended up being on the team and it's been a blast ever since. Oh, great stuff. I have to, personal admission I need to make, I knew you on LinkedIn as Mark Schweigert 
for a long time. And there was this other character on Twitter called DevKeyDead. <laughs> and I, it, it's only probably in the last 12 or 18 months that uh, I've realized it's the same person. Yeah. So uh, where did, where did the DevKeyDead alter ego come from? Yeah, it's funny. So um, when I f- first started getting into social media, primarily blogging, I did it kicking and screaming. Like, you know, I was one of those people, you know, I'm a private person. I don't want to have a public persona kind of thing. And so I always tried to anonymize as much as I could. It was kind of looking back now, it's kind of silly, right? But at least in those days, you know, being out in the open on on the internet was a, an uncomfortable thing for me. And so yeah. I just came up with DevKeyDet, um, a keydet. Interestingly enough, I went to a a military school in Southern Virginia called the Virginia Military Institute, and the mascot of the school is a keydet. It's actually a kangaroo. Um, Oh wow! But the way that I should know that. But the way that Southern people pronounce the word cadet is sounds like keydet, and so that's where the word keydet comes from. And then dev, because my background is in you know development, I just kind of put the two together, and that became my my handle. Ah, there you go. I never knew that. You talked a little bit about the PowerCat team, the customer advisory team, helping mostly enterprise customers and adopting the Power Platform. Can you help me understand, maybe our listeners understand, the differences between there's a number of different groups at Microsoft. So there's Fast Track Consulting Services, there's Customer Success, um, there's a new role called Customer Engineers. I don't know if that's the new name for Customer Success or where that fits sure. in. Can you help enlighten us and where they all fit in and how they help our customers? Yeah, I'll do my best. So um, to connect the dots with FastTrack, we actually are in the same part of the product group uh, that FastTrack is in. Um, But we have a different mission and a different charter than FastTrack. FastTrack is a very large organization helping primarily customers um, with, with Dynamics 365. Right, and given the fact that Dynamics 365 increasingly runs on top of the Power Platform, um, you know, there's a separate team, our team, the Customer Advisory Team, uh, that focuses more um, instead of on single app use case uh, or single project use case go live type of scenarios. We work on much more. broad adoption, helping a customer from the beginning of their low-code journey to ultimately trying to get them into a position of being self-sufficient. And as you can imagine along the way, that includes everything from, you know, environment strategies, governance and administration strategies, readiness and nurturing strategies, you know, successfully taking some of their low-code applications live, helping them with application lifecycle management. Um, We really sort of get entrenched with a customer at a very deep level for an extended period of time. We really serve as their their customer advocates to feature teams and the liaison essentially between feature teams and customers, helping drive both improvement in the platform through those customers, as well as you know ensuring customers get unblocked, et cetera. We're part of the same organization as FastTrack and the product group. And then in the field, there's something called the customer success unit, right? And in the customer success unit, we have customer success managers, we have in the Azure world, we have cloud solution architects. In multiple worlds, we have customer engineers that used to be uh, premier field engineers that uh, were in a different part of Microsoft. They're actually in the, the services part of Microsoft, and they've been moved out of the services part of Microsoft and into the customer success unit. Because as you can imagine, a role like that is is critical to a customer success. And so where, where we're trying to make customers successful post-sales in the field, most roles are now in the customer success unit, whereas 
and consulting services, Microsoft still has MCS or Microsoft Consulting Services. Those are folks who effectively do project work. Right. So you got to hire them, pay them as a consulting engagement. That's right. And then where we fit in is we're sort of the product group incarnation, if you will, of what the field does in the in the customer success unit. We typically work uh, through a, with a smaller group of customers where the customer success unit um, sort of does similar things, but at scale, right, with, with uh, many more resources, uh, typically aligned to, you know, specific customers as well. And for PowerCat, in many ways, you can kind of think that we incubate a lot of the customer su- success patterns and practices okay. for the power platform that will ultimately then be scaled through the customer success unit. And so we think of them as part of the, part of the same larger team. Uh, we just happen to sit in the product group working you know, more closely with feature teams and certain customers. And then we try to scale our learnings, knowledge, patterns and practices um, you know, in numerous ways, but in many ways through the customer success unit. So all Microsoft customers can have same similar levels of success. That really helps me paint a picture because I've worked with all those teams more or less separately and never quite known how they all fit together. So thanks for helping sure. fill in the gaps there. Um, more recently, you've become known or, or Power Platform customers adopt a more mature application lifecycle management strategy and some tools and practices there as well. Can you help maybe explain for our listeners what Microsoft's approach or definition of application lifecycle management is, first of all? Sure. I would, I would actually take a step back and go a little bit you know, more higher level. You know, the concept of application lifecycle management exists for a reason, right? Because when you're building a simple application as a single individual, whether it's low code or code first, um, you arguably probably don't need a whole lot of application lifecycle management, right? You you build something, you get it into a place where other people can use it, other people using it, you make changes to it in some way, shape, or form, uh, and you get those changes out to users, right? And it's sort of simplest concept. But as as more people use your application, the risk of introducing changes uh, in a casual way becomes much higher because if you introduce uh, changes in a way that it impacts thousands of users, even if you're the only person building the application, there can be some problems there, right? You're gonna have unhappy right. users. Um, then as you kind of grow and you uh, introduce more people building the application, right? Whether it's two people or three people or 15 people, right? You introduce complexities there in terms of work coordination, in terms of uh, you know reconciling each other's work in, in, in ways that, you can all bring it into a single experience that people can then possibly test, right? And possibly use in production. Um, the need for testing becomes more and more apparent, right? As you have uh, more users, more complex applications and more people building it. And so um, concepts around application lifecycle management have just been born out of necessity, right? And so when it comes to ALM with the power platform, really it is about sort of following that similar pattern is of, you know, if you don't need ALM, then you don't need LLM, but you typically know you need LLM, you know, when you need LLM, right? And that's what I always tell people is like, you start to feel pain points. And and so you have to start establishing practices and processes to, um, to increase the quality of the applications you're building, right? In a consistent fashion to better coordinate work, to, you know, to um, better manage the work that different people are doing in a way that it can all be consolidated and made available to users through, you know, 
development, testing, production environments. And so I think at a very high level, that's what application lifecycle management is about. And then, you know, if you kind of look at how how the the discipline has evolved, um, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, people sometimes use ALM and DevOps synonymously. I was going to ask you about that as yeah, well, actually. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, like, I'm a big believer in, in DevOps, the concept, but you know what I've learned, especially over the last few months, is that when people at Microsoft say DevOps, everybody just assumes they mean Azure DevOps, right? That the the service that allows you to do DevOps, um, and so I, I've kind of walked away from using the the, the DevOps term because it just causes confusion. Um, but the, the the point is generally um, you need a place to put all of your work. Usually that's a source control system, right? You need a way to coordinate the work that you're doing, and uh, you need a way to then take that work and move it to different environments. And so automation becomes key, right? Because the more you can automate, the more you eliminate um, you know, human error, the more you eliminate human error, the more you increase quality. Um, then you can start to introduce all sorts of other things into that process. And so this is a sort of a well-proven practice in what I would call, uh, I'm not a big fan of the term uh, pro code. So I use I use code first technologies, right? People who are writing, you know, fundamentally starting with code and building applications. Um, and so when it comes to the power platform, it's, you know, it's, it, it's an interesting dilemma because there's a an extreme of people who are building highly complex, multi-person developed uh, mission critical systems on low code technology, right? A lot of people think of, of low code and power platform as for the citizen developer and it without question is, but there's a group of people who want to do the level of ALM they do with and, 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 you know, DevOps or, you know, build and deployment automation and source controlling that they do with C sharp, Node.js, you know, Azure app service, et cetera, but with power platform. And then there's this group of folks who really just want to get started and being able to take all the stuff that they did in a low code environment and move it from one environment to another. And so, we in PowerCat, I guess there's a couple dimensions here, right? First and foremost, that's a hard challenge, right? Uh, helping people understand entry-level ALM and give them tools to, to help get them started and then uh, tools to do that high-end sort of get out of my way, let me do things the way I want to, but but make my ALM experience uh, more productive, right? And, and so we in PowerCat also build something called the Center of Excellence Starter Kit, um, and it's a team of, you know, six, six to 10 people who build different aspects of the COE starter kit. And as you can imagine, we need to do ALM of the power platform solutions that we're doing. And so we've been focusing more on that extreme side uh, for some of the things that we've, building, we've been building. And we essentially built a set of Azure DevOps pipelines, some a Canvas app, um, and, and basically we've established a, an ALM process for the COE starter kit. It's a combination of using source control, right? Using um, uh, build and deployment automation. We're going to start introducing testing and a, a number of other things so that we could get healthy with something we call uh, the, the COE starter kit. We could get our ALM healthy. And then what we want to do is essentially take everything we've built for ourselves because we've built it in a very generic way, right? Um, our pipelines are highly variable driven. They're Componentized, um, so and their intelligence to an extent where if you you set variable X like certain things in the pipeline, but if you never even create variable X, certain things get ignored. And so we built them in, in such a way to meet our own needs, 
but also meet the needs of other folks who are doing highly advanced ALM. And so that's all coming through something we call the COE Starter Kit. And then we also have another set of applications that's uh, or another reference application that's geared more towards sort of the entry-level ALM. And so why did we do all this? Well, if you go to Microsoft's Patterns and Practices guidance around ALM, you sort of read it, you feel overwhelmed, and you feel like you don't know where to start, right? Because right. there's so many options, et cetera. And so what we wanted to do was build something that at least helped people get started, that that tried to embody the patterns and practices of ALM for the Power Platform, um, and and you know save people time to build from a clean slate to a mature state, which for most people takes months. It takes months to kind of get from the beginning to some level of build, you know, source control, build, deployment, automation. And again, for the advanced maker app, it, we, we're taking a philosophy where you hide nothing, right? For the uh, entry level maker app. It's still source control, build and deployment automation behind the scenes, but the the citizen developer knows nothing about that. That's more sort of a, a way to archive apps as they go from one environment to another, to have history of apps, et cetera. Um, intro, but the citizen developer just kind of builds stuff in a, a power platform solution. When they're ready, they say, my stuff's ready to go to another environment. Uh, flow approval happens behind the scenes. Now behind the scenes, you know, an administrator or somebody else can look at the source code. They can, you know, they use things like pull requests, et cetera, that are more advanced, you know, concepts with source control technology, you, you know, specifically Git. Um, and that's the approval process. But again, the, the citizen developer uh, knows nothing about it. And so we're trying to sort of start from these two different perspectives that are very diametrically opposed. Like one person doesn't want to know any of this stuff. The other person doesn't want any of this stuff hidden from them because they want full control over it. You've unleashed a whole bundle of questions in my head. If I can work through a, a couple of them, Mark. So you, you said that ALM is a, you know, it's, it's not a necessary practice. If I'm the only application builder, maybe working on a personal productivity application, whether it's just for me or a couple of people on my team, so small scale, low risk, I might even be developing in production, ALM doesn't really apply. Where there's more than one builder or where it becomes a mission-critical application, or I've got more than one environment in which that app has to be built and then deployed, I need to start thinking about ALM. So that's that's pretty clear. And it doesn't. I think what you're saying is it doesn't matter whether I'm a, a new to application building, there is a application lifecycle management approach, and now you're providing some tools for me, that's great. But if I'm a professional developer and I'm used to ALM concepts, then there's also some patterns and practices and some apps available for me as well. Microsoft's finally stepping into the ring here because for years I've been hearing at conferences from experts like Scott DeRoe and Will Hamsey and um, even Sean MacArthur before he joined Microsoft. ALM is a good thing. You need to have healthy ALM to successfully build amazing applications. Here's how you can do it. But the more conferences I went to, the more divergent opinions I heard about here's how you can do it. And it might be an MVP with a lot of experience. Or it might be some solution architect who's just discovered how to do it first time on one project and sharing his or her experience, which I think is great too. But it, it became very confusing for people to know, you know, is there a recommended practice from Microsoft? Do you think you're now telling the community, look, here's how Microsoft recommends you practice ALM? Is that what we're finally converging on? So it's interesting. We've been very hesitant to actually take that hard stance because right. one size never fits all. Right. 
And I think our, our philosophy on the ALM Accelerator team uh, and the COE Starter Kit team is a little bit different. It, it was sort of, we needed to do ALM. We needed to figure out how we were going to do ALM for the real world solutions that are part of the COE Starter Kit, Power Platform Solutions right there. Um, for, for, for the listeners who aren't familiar, there, I'll, I'll digress for a second. Um, when, when, when we refer to Power Platform Solutions, it is the package and deployment mechanism and the engine where you take all of your Power Platform stuff, you throw it into this thing called a solution, a container, if you will, and it is your unit of deployment of all the things that you've built, right? And so all the investment in ALM and the Power Platform for the last year and a half, if not longer, has all gone into making solutions the ALM engine for all things Power Platform, right? So anything that we now call a solution component, whether it be a data flow or Canvas app or Power Automate flow, uh, you know, Dataverse table, a Dataverse plugin, it's all packaged and deployed through solutions. And if you're, if folks are familiar with Azure, I always sort of equate what Azure Resource Manager is, right? It's the engine that deploys all the stuff in Azure. And then the Azure Resource Manager template, which is the definition of all the stuff that gets deployed. Solutions are effectively the arm of Power Platform, right? There's the solution engine behind the service. And then there's the way you, you know, you package, deploy, and define all those things. And so um, back to the point, we've had to build these solutions. And so our point of view has always been, we're going to figure out ALM for ourselves. Right? We're going to build a set of tools that show you how we do ALM. Now, we're going to do certain things that are opinionated. In fact, we do some things that kind of, quote unquote, violate the rules, right? There are, oh, okay. there are edge cases where we manually edit XML files that are unpacked into source control from solutions. But we do it in a very thoughtful and pragmatic way. And we'll explain why we chose to do it and the pros and cons, et cetera. Um, but what we really wanted to do was not say this is Microsoft's way of, of saying how you must do things. This is a way that embodies as much as possible the patterns and practices that are published, but also takes pragmatic approaches to solving real world problems, right? And in some cases, you know, to solve real world problems, there's the theoretical and there's the practical. And, you know, we're, we're, unapologetic about the places where we're having to do things practically and pragmatically versus uh, theoretically. And there are things that we do, like we don't treat our environments like cattle, right? Because there are known challenges with environment lifecycle management in the platform. And so uh, we have to uh, deal with those things. And so we do certain things to try to treat our environments like cattle, but but we don't actually do environment resets for environments often. We, we take alternative approaches that accomplish the sem- same end state. But again, back to the point, we're not trying to be like, like what we're going to have is, is warts and all. Um, and uh, ultimately uh, in the next week or so, uh, we will be launching it in public preview as an open source project. And in fact, right. every part of the COE starter kit will be co- be open sourced. And so we're moving to a model. Well, as you can imagine, we had to get, a- again, we had to get ALM healthy and right. Um, in order to open source everything that you're building, you have to have you know good practices in place because if you want people to contribute, right, you're, you're going to have to explain to them how to contribute, how to you know submit pull requests, et cetera. And so... It, it it's we've been on this journey to get to a place where we could open source the COE starter kit. The ALM aspect of it was paramount. Um, then shipping the assets that we're using to do ALM 
was also paramount because then we can ask other people who want to contribute to use those same assets and then participate in the same process that we part that we participate in internally. Now, all that was is about basically just sharing what we do, not saying it's right or wrong, right? But sharing what we do and sharing it out in the open and then asking the community to participate. And so, yes, I think the COE starter kit and the ALM accelerator work that we're doing started with a bunch of people inside Microsoft wanting to share what we're doing, but it's going to really go where we want it to go. It's going to require the the community. And so we want all those people who have opinions about different things to participate um, and help us improve what we're doing. Frankly, help us improve our own processes, right? We've got a lot to learn from the community in terms of how they've addressed some of these, these challenges. And so Again, your original question was, is this Microsoft saying this is the way to do things? I would say no. It's it's a way of saying this is how a team at Microsoft who's doing the same things you have to do is doing things. And here's everything that we've put together to help make our lives easier, to make your life easier. But give us feedback. Tell us like how to do things better, how to improve our pipelines, how to improve our Canvas apps, like how to not be so opinionated and prescriptive, right? Like, hey, I like to do things this way. Give me the option to do it, right? That's the kind of feedback we're hoping to get. Now, the reality is, in many cases, the person who submits the issue, um, we're going to say, hey, we we may not have the uh, the resources and the bandwidth to do this in our release cycle, which, again, we're um, not again, but we're moving to a, a monthly release cycle, right? Like, much like VS Code does and other open source projects at Microsoft, right? We want to have these very short, you know, high priority work item kind of process where we get those things in, new release, then we kind of do the next release, et cetera. And our philosophy is going to, to be everything gets put on the backlog out in the open. You know, uh, you know, what's on the backlog. Community voting will drive features. I think most importantly, once we get our contribution plans right, the, the pattern will probably be user files an issue for a feature enhancement. The the first comment is, do you have the bandwidth to work on this feature? You know, go fork the repo, do some work, uh, submit a pull request, and let's review the work that you're doing so we can get it into the next release or some future release. So you mentioned there the iterative and incremental approach that you're taking. And I, I see, you know, thinking about agile approaches to software development, I see LM as an absolutely critical piece of that. You cannot ship frequently into production unless you have healthy ALM. Do you think that's true of more traditional plan-based project approaches where you know, you're not planning to ship into production for 18 months or a couple of years on a big ERP project? Do you think ALM applies to you know, practitioners executing a waterfall style project as much as it does an agile style? So I think it does. I think uh, this is a philosophical discussion. I, I I think you just don't reap as many of the benefits because I don't think it's it's agile development or ALM, right? Um, to reap the benefits of both, it's sort of the combination, right? Like you can do build and deployment automation and source control, and there's all, all sorts of value in having that, right? But you're not going to get the continuous improvement, right? It, that that agile methodologies and sort of the, the infinity DevOps sort of philosophy, uh, you know, promotes if you're 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 doing more traditional, you know, extended period, you know, water files style project management. And, you know, it's, I, it's always fun to see people who say they're doing agile development, but they're really doing waterfall and trying to say that it's agile, right? You know, I, I think there's there's a, a culture change. There's a lot of changes that need to happen. But I think the intersection of 
build deployment automation and automate everything in general, coupled with small discrete pieces of work done over and over again, getting those discrete pieces of work into an environment that users can actually use, test, provide feedback on, iterate, you know, and then take into a release. I think it's the intersection of those two things in my mind that reaps the most benefit. Thinking then about ERP projects in particular that seem to have, um, at least the people that contact me and ask me about Agile ERP is they have a hard time thinking about short iterative cycles and and frequent production releases. Microsoft has got the new uh, ALM accelerators for the Power Platform, which I guess encompasses some of the Dynamics 365 products. You know, if I'm building sales, marketing, customer service, field service, and project service, I can use your ALM patterns and practices. But if I'm using Dynamics 365 Business Central or finance or operations or HR, there's a different set of tools for, for those teams do you think we'll ever get to a convergence of a single set of LM patterns and practices right across the business application stack? And I'd even extend that to Power BI, which today seems to sit somewhere in between, and Azure. So I've got a lot of Azure components. I've got Logic Apps and Azure Functions as part of my application stack. How do I manage that as part of my release cycle as well? Yeah, so there's a lot in there to unpack. So I, I'll kind of step back to where we were before the announcement, I don't know, three years ago now, before the announcement was made that XRM was merging with Power Platform, right? One of the conscious yet, frankly, tough engineering challenge decisions was to say that solutions are the low-code ALM engine of the platform moving forward. And it's taken us a long time to, to get there, right? There's been a long laundry list of known issues with like Canvas apps and, you know, Power Automate flows and certain aspects of Power Platform that, you know, certain certain sort of happy path scenarios work, but a second you tried to introduce some more advanced scenarios, certain things broke. And um, the good news is like the level of ALM health we have with solutions and the tooling coming from Microsoft is finally getting to the place frankly, where we could build this ALM accelerator, right? Part of the reason we haven't had the ALM accelerator sooner um, and part of the reason we, the COE starter kit, couldn't do uh, the level of healthy ALM that we wanted to do was because the platform needed to catch up to enable us to do it, right? And that's that's just a matter of reality of this this merging of these, these technologies, right? And so the question about like all these different things, uh, as you mentioned, right? Right now, our focus is things that are grounded in solutions, right? Which comes from Dynamics 365 customer engagement is now the ALM engine of the for the platform. But I think that's the key key statement, right? It is the ALM engine of the platform moving forward. So anything uh, that is part of a platform, whether it's first party applications that leverage the platform or you know bespoke custom applications that you're building all the all the lower level aspects of it long-term will be incorporated into solutions. Now, ERP is a, a different animal. And as other aspects of, of dynamics um, are brought into the solutioning system, then we'll have a consistent story. Until that point uh, comes, uh, there is an inconsistent story across, for example, solutions and how, how you do things with with other dynamics products that aren't based on sort of the what used to be called the CE platform, right? Or which is now a dataverse uh, and and model driven apps. Um, but having said that, you know, you brought up Azure as an example. Um, you know, 
whether we will get to a place where you can coordinate certain elements of Azure through solutions, uh, you know, is to be determined, right? But you can imagine that there are certain elements of Azure, namely, you know, what historically would be called platform as a service, right? Some people refer to and more often is now called serverless technologies in Azure that are really geared towards app dev. You know, there, there, there's a lot of um, opportunity there to kind of bring solutions and some of those aspects together. Because as you think about larger, complex, low-code solutions, they're almost always developed with some extensibility with code-first technology. And in the Microsoft world, that's typically running in Azure, but there are also cases where there's, you know, things running in, in other cloud services as well. And so I think both the the other dynamics technologies and coordination with things like Azure is, is you know, a lot of room for opportunity in the future. But in the short term, you can do all that coordination through pipelines, right? So say, for example, you have an Azure function. Right. And you have a custom connector and you have a canvas app that calls the custom connector through API management that only talks to an Azure function. You know, in, in, in Azure DevOps pipelines or GitHub workflows, right, you can do that coordination work. Right? Obviously, there's dependencies there. So order matters. Right. And that's one of the things that we'll actually show in the ALM accelerator. One of the things that we are doing is building a reference application. The reference application is going to be kind of meaningless. It's really about exercising ALM and exercising build and deployment automation. But we will, in the, the fullness of time, show an example of some Azure function code sitting in a source co control repository, right? Um, that scenario I just described. And what will we do in the pipeline? Like, we'll build the Azure function, right? We will make sure that the, you know, Azure uh, function app is deployed, you know, we'll have an ARM template in, in the source control system. Uh, we'll do it in the right order such that then the, the solution can be deployed because the solution depends on the interface of the API, right? And then, and, and so you'll be able to do this uh, work across a fusion team where some people are writing Azure functions, some people are writing, you know, Dataverse plugins, some people are, are writing PCF components, some people are just building point and click configuration within the service and exporting it to source control. But the source control system will be the source of truth. And we'll show pipeline examples of how you can coordinate all that work across an end to end system architecture that that isn't just low code, but spans, you know, multiple things, which in the real world is how almost everything works, right? Right. Um, my last enterprise project, I had 25 people in the Dynamics 365 team, and it was really building stuff on top of the Power Platform. We probably had 50 people in the systems integration team, mostly building Azure services, and it was just a lot of work to coordinate you know, everybody's releases and builds and yep. all the functions and, and stuff. It was not easy. You must face this quite a bit with enterprise customers who maybe... In this case, it was their first ever Power Platform project, early adoption of Azure for this customer. Their existing DevOps tooling was not Microsoft-based. We had a lot of Atlassian stuff. We had Bitbucket and Bamboo and uh, Puppet. I'm trying to remember some of the other tools. Do you face that challenge with some of the other enterprise customers that they're maybe not a, a GitHub or an Azure DevOps shop and they're they're having to learn the Microsoft tooling as well as the Power Platform and how to develop on it at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the... The simple answer is, well, you know, everything's an API behind the scenes and any CI, CD platform that can call an API can do the same things that we do in Azure DevOps and GitHub. Now, the level of effort to, to achieve that is high because if you look at like the various APIs across the platform, there's different API endpoints, right? Uh, in some cases, you can do things in PowerShell and PowerShell today is uh, so, some of our PowerShell 
some some of the things you can do uh, use our PowerShell commandlets, which are Windows only, and some customers want to use you know other um, job runners like Linux, etc. And so the 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 answer today is that it's still a lot of work to do CI/CD with a Power Platform when you're not using GitHub Actions or Azure DevOps tasks. The good news is, and, and I'm always surprised when I talk to people of how how not so good of a job we've done on, on communicating this, right? We do a lot of things at Microsoft, I think just because we did it and we release it and there's a docs article on it, like people know, but there's something called the Power Apps command line interface or you know, often referred to as PACCLI. It probably should be called the Power Platform command line interface because it's quickly growing to have, um, a, you know, basically everything that you you want to do with the pa- Power Platform around um, Dev and ALM all wrapped into a single command line interface. And so, if you've if you've heard of it and you haven't looked at it in a long time, you probably think it's the CLI that allows you to build PCF components, right? Because that's that's how it was introduced. Um, but if you actually go look at it now, it's got actions for environment lifecycle management it's you know it's got you know verbs for environment lifecycle management it's got things for um, portals coming it has things for solutions um, and it's continuing to grow out to be both the cli tool that developers use but also the cli tool that you can use for automation of all things power platform and in fact if you look at the github actions uh, the the source goes out on github Right, it's a sec. They're essentially wrappers around the Power Apps CLI. So everything that can be automated from GitHub Actions today, and everything that will be able to be automated from Azure DevOps tasks, will all be backed by Pack CLI. That's the first place all the work goes. And so, and and Pack CLI is is .NET full .NET framework today, or you know .NET framework, not .NET. Right, if you you're following .NET terminology, but eventually. It will be cross, run on on .NET five, right, and or .NET Core, and then eventually, you know, uh, .NET five, etc., uh, .NET six as time goes by. Um, but it'll be a cross-platform CLI that can be used from, you know, any OS that that you know .NET supports, and then from there, the story becomes a lot easier for somebody who's using something other than Azure DevOps or or GitHub. The short answer is. Everything that we do in our GitHub Actions and Azure DevOps tasks are embodied in the Power Apps CLI, and so uh, it's a lot. It will be a lot easier to use those things from from other platforms and uh, not be operating system specific. But it sounds like that utopian future is some distance away. So in the meantime, you better just to hop on the Azure DevOps or GitHub bandwagon. Yeah, so it's not as far away as you may think. Um, there is active work going on to get to that end state rather quickly. Um, and so, you know, I can't give dates, but um, there's work going on right now um, that that we've accelerated internally to get to that end state. And so I don't think we're as far off. Uh, I'm very, being very wishy-washy intentionally, but I'm, I don't think we're as far off as, as you think. Like if you need to do something right now, Azure DevOps and GitHub are your, your best places to be productive, right? If you need to use other automation technologies, you know, there's a lot more, there's a higher level of effort to do so, but that level of effort will be greatly reduced uh, in the coming months, probably. Thinking about, you know, broad adoption of these new LM patterns and practices, it seems like quite a steep learning curve, particularly for citizen developers. 
are there any training resources that I can go to and, and take part in a training course? I even had a quick look at the some of the Power Apps developer examination syllabuses and training courses. There's very little ALM content in there. Um, and if I'm new to pull requests and uh, repos and pipelines and builds, it's oh, it's just, there's a whole new world of terminology alongside all the Power Platform terminology that I'm learning just to build the apps. Where's a good place to go for, particularly for citizen developers, to learn all this jargon and how to put it into practice? So I would say there's not a great single place to go today. That is that is something that we will try to help solve through the ALM Accelerator documentation. Because to do the advanced ALM stuff, you have to know solutions, you have to know Git, you have to know build and deployment automation, just to simply use the advanced uh, you know maker application, right? Because like you do pull request, you submit code to get yourself, right? It's a, it's a gesture that you do through a Canvas app. You submit pull request yourself as a maker, right? Again, this is the the app that, that doesn't attempt to hide any of this from people, right? Um, you need a branching and merging strategy, right? We're, we're sort of, we'll document ours and kind of give you some sense of what we do, but we're, we're not forcing you down that strategy, right? We're hopefully providing an accelerator that allows you to kind of take what we've built and adjust your strategies to it. So we are looking to um, help say, like, this is what you need to know. And here's some ideas of some things to go look at, right? So for example, you have to know solutions and you have to know solutions fundamentals. And frankly, for citizen developers, solutions are still challenging, right? There's work that we need to do and as the platform teams need to do and the maker experience teams need to do to make solutions more approachable to the citizen developer, right? There, we still on PowerCat run into a lot of customers where you know they've essentially broken themselves into jail using solutions because they didn't stop and learn solutions and some of the intricacies and nuances of solutions. And so they've created dependencies in their solutions and they have you know prob- problems importing solutions into downstream environments and updating solutions because they've created cross-solution dependencies, et cetera. And so, for example, Phil on our team has done some work around some quick hit videos to sort of learn solution fundamentals quickly. And so the way we think about it is we want to kind of point people to the fundamentals that they need to know, very quick hit learning, and then here's you know more detailed information and really sort of put together almost like a learning syllabus that is says, hey, if you really want to be successful with this accelerator or that accelerator app, Here's some things that you need to know. Go go pay attention to that stuff first and then, you know, start using it. And so we anticipate citizen developers will probably start with this app that's geared more towards the citizen developer, but eventually want to do more advanced things. And so the statement is there's only so much so many advanced things that you can do when you're hiding all all the the what's going on under the hood. At some point you need to kind of learn what's going on under the hood and graduate if you will, right? And so our goal is to create some documentation and guidance around helping people ramp up on those things. But that's one of the big problems today. Like you know, when I work with customers, like I have to tell them, go watch this video, go watch that video, go you know, take this Microsoft Learn course on Git fundamentals. And so uh, the resources are growing, but there's no consolidated place to, to, to kind of learn how to, how to do it all. And so we're hoping in short order after we get our V1 release out to get documentation to help people with that. But candidly, as we go into public preview, our focus is really getting our V1 features out the door and then helping people. And so 
those V1 features will be for people who already know this stuff, right? Like for, for V1, it's really about catering to the audience of people who already uh, know these technologies and just want to, to use them in a more productive way. And then hopefully in short order, one of the things that we will focus on is helping people who want to learn these technologies to get that to that more advanced ALM world faster. So I think there's a great opportunity there for MVPs and there's a number of MVPs who produce online training content. Absolutely. There's definitely an opportunity there. Phil could have done it, but he was only an MVP for 10 minutes before right. Microsoft hired him. Right. So <laughs> you give us a bit of a gap there. There's even some Microsoft documentation on solutions that says you can just customize the default solution. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, it's, it's, uh, it's not, uh, there's four options and that's number one. I would Let's get rid of that one. But Neil, you, you made a good point about like existing content out there. Like one of the things that we want to do by by making a, a public GitHub repo sort of a rallying point around um, you know the the work that we're doing is that we want other people to say, hey, I already have a walkthrough of you know fundamentals here. Go watch it. Right? Like we don't mind referring to when we want to refer to community work that's already been done, right? So like literally we're going to have guidance in docs.microsoft.com. But if that guidance includes pointing to a video that Scott DeRoe did or, you know, something that you did, or that's fine. Like we, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to kind of pull things together in a way that, uh, you know, existing assets can, can be benefited from. Like certainly like if you think about Power Platform build tools versus the great community work that Wal Hamza has driven for years now, right? I was a contributor to to that at one point. I wrote a couple of the tasks um, at one point. Our goal is not to sort of compete, right? It's a recognition that customer Microsoft customers want things from Microsoft, right? Yeah. Um, and so it, it, the the work that that has been going on around ALM is to try to meet that that expectation of customers, right? But ultimately, we want to embrace the community. So the ALM starter kit is the the first step. The GitHub Actions being out on a public GitHub repo is was the first step. The C- ALM starter kit is another. At the right point, you can imagine that the Power Platform Build Tools tasks will be in a public GitHub repo as well, right? And then it, be, it creates this sort of uh, snowball effect, if you will, right? We want to get to a place where the community can contribute to the things in an open source fashion as much as possible, including things like GitHub Actions and Power Platform Build Tool tasks. I mean, if you go to the GitHub Actions project today, you'll see that a statement, they're not accepting contributions. That's not the long-term goal, right? The long-term goal is to accept, you know, anything that we're doing in an open source fashion is to accept contributions and such that like, Everything that's been done and all the lessons learned and all the years of uh, all, all the hard work that people have put into other community projects, right? If people want to, they can bring that hard work into the Microsoft project that more and more customers will use because it's Microsoft branded, right? Microsoft ensures the quality of it, et cetera, but you can contribute to those things. So you can imagine a day where we don't necessarily have all the tasks and actions coming from Microsoft. And they're still in, and you know, there's some great task and action actions in, in while Hamza's project, right? Somebody chooses to take that, what they've built over there and bring it into our public repo. And before you know it, like everything that's, that was over in that project, which required community tools are now shipped 
through Microsoft with community contribution. Now that's going to take us time to get there, yeah. but that really is the long-term goal, right? Is is increasingly embrace the community because here's the thing: we're never going to be able to produce and innovate, you know, all the things that people want with the resources we have internally at Microsoft. We we run pretty lean, right, as a company, and so community contributions uh, is 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 one way to innovate rapidly. Like even with the ALM accelerator, we think about it like this: we've uh, we started something, right? We've had to build the foundation. We had to build it behind closed doors for a lot of reasons. We were dependent on tools that didn't exist. Like we've been using Canvas Unpack um, forever, right? Since basically <laughs> the first build of it existed uh, internally, right? That we couldn't talk about that publicly. So we couldn't be out in the open. There were some known platform issues like Canvas Calling Flow that have just recently, recently been fixed. Like that known issues list has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So we didn't want to have an ALM accelerator out in the open that was a showcase for all the things that weren't working in the platform, right? We wanted to have, have an ALM accelerator that was a showcase for things that work end to end. And so we've been doing all that sort of behind closed doors, but now is the time to get it out in the open, get it in the public and really start to ask the community to contribute to take the ALM accelerator to where we want to go, which we'll never be able to do by ourselves. But here's the other interesting aspect of it. As we've been building the ALM Accelerator, we've been working with all the different feature teams that own ALM uh, related capabilities across the platform. And we've run into issues. And then the issues that we've run into, because our goal is to be a reference of how you can successfully automate end-to-end real-world scenarios, we've then driven that feedback into those teams to help them round out their issues. Now, when we go out in the open, the community will help that, right? Because what's going to happen is somebody's going to inevitably going to file an issue for the ALM accelerator that says, this isn't working. And our response is going to be, you're right, it's not working in the platform. So there's nothing we can do in the ALM accelerator to address that. But vote this up. We're going to go talk to the PM who owns and the engineering team that owns the improvement that will enable this your upvoting will be a data, you know, that they will use to help their prioritization. We'll work with them. You know, they'll pay attention to the GitHub issues. Uh, once they they fix the thing in, in the, the, the platform, we will then in short order in the ALM accelerator, make sure that we're showcasing the end-to-end, you know, automation of the scenario. And it creates this sort of a virtuous cycle where what we've been doing with a small group of people trying to help get ALM to green on the platform, like play our part in helping get ALM to green, the community will be able to do because the most important blockers will be up without question, will end up on the ALM accelerator, you know, issues list. Uh, and then the influence back to the, the feature teams to prioritize the right work, the most important work, which as a feature PM is the hardest thing to do. You want to solve all the problems, but you got this long list of work. And the question is, which ones do you do? It's like any backlog prioritization, right? Which are the most important ones to do? Sometimes it's a guess. Sometimes it's based on customer data. Sometimes it's be, it's because the loudest customers are screaming the most, right? And and it's a it's a challenge. But at least we hope as, as the COE Starter Kit team and the ALM Accelerator team, we hope to make that those issues a rallying point, not only for the community, but then for feature teams to understand the demand for the improvements necessary to enable the scenario. Okay, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate you coming on the show and joining us. A healthy application lifecycle process is critical if you're going to build amazing, agile, Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. I think it's Great that Microsoft is finally 
providing more prescriptive advice for how to achieve healthy ALM and providing tools to help us get there. Better still, the Power Platform customer advisory team is publishing their tools as open source project on GitHub. That allows us all to raise issues and make contributions to a true set of global best practices and tools that we can all use in our projects. I might finally even get on board with deploying managed solutions in production. Remember, you'll find show notes at customary.com slash 030. And don't forget to subscribe to the Amazing Applications podcast and hear my rapid fire round with Mark. You'll be shocked to hear that he doesn't use Scrum or SureStep for managing product development. And there's lots more surprises as well. Until next time, keep sprinting.